I would invite you this morning to open up your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3. And our reading will be uh, the entire chapter of Acts 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God had raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of the Lord, and let's pray. Our Father, as we now have heard your word proclaimed from Acts chapter 3, we now ask you that you would help us. Uh, to receive your word by faith. And Lord, that your 
word would do the sanctifying work that we desperately need in our hearts this morning. Form our hearts, shape our hearts according to your will. By the work of your spirit through your word this morning, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last weekend, I brought my children back to Iowa so that we could take part in the harvest with my family. Uh, When we first got to the field, I hopped up into the combine to ride a few rounds with my dad. Uh, My son Luther was also uh, in the cab with us. And so my dad enjoyed telling him that he remembered when I was his size and even younger and when I would sit on the floor of the combine and lean my head against the front window and fall asleep watching the corn stalks disappear into the feeder house. Uh, being with my dad like that last weekend reminded me of how much I loved helping him on the farm when I was younger. Um, but I have to be honest, uh, there's a reason why I'm a pastor, not a farmer. Um, I did, I did love helping him and following him around, but there are many times when my dad would ask me to do something that I didn't have a clue as to what I was doing or how to do it. Uh, but thankfully, he was usually not too far away, and I always felt better knowing that dad was close by and I'd be able uh, to ask him for help, and he would come and help me when I needed it. Uh, the context here for our, our, our scripture reading from Acts 3, when this event takes place was just a couple of months after Jesus was crucified and risen from the dead. It was just a few weeks uh, after Jesus had, had ascended into heaven to take his seat at the right hand of God and at that time had given the church what's now known as the Great Commission, that is his command to go and make disciples of all nations. At the same time that, Je- that Jesus gave that, that command to his disciples, he also gave them a promise. He said, as you go and make disciples, know this, that I have all authority in heaven and on earth, and I will be with you. I will be with you until the mission is done. Not long after this, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church, and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to begin this great work of proclaiming the gospel, of making disciples, and the verse that comes right before Acts chapter 3, that's Acts 2 verse 47, uh, says this, says that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So that is just what he had promised, right? He had promised that he would be with them, and he was with them, and as they told their neighbors the good news of the gospel of the Lord, of, G, uh, of, of what Christ had done for them, the Lord was working through them, and he, it says, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So as we, we meditate on this passage this morning, let us intentionally think about how the Lord works through his people to bring others to salvation, and also let's, let's meditate and think about just what this message of the gospel really is. This message that, that Peter here is de- declaring in our passage. 
So our main theme from Acts 3 is that we have been empowered to proclaim the life-restoring message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Spirit has come and has empowered the church to proclaim the life-restoring message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the first uh, section here that we're going to look at, uh, verses 1 through 10, and then also in other places there, the rest of the chapter, we see that Jesus is alive and works through his people to do life-restoring work. Um, look, look, look there at verse 15, kind of right in the middle of our chapter. Peter's declaring to the people gathered around in the temple, and he says, you killed the author of life, referring to Jesus Christ, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Now, this is a remarkable healing that has just taken place here um, uh, in the first uh, 10 verses of this chapter. This really is a miracle. And so don't immediately jump to the conclusion that, that this kind of healing or this kind of experience is something that we should also expect as we seek to, to spread the gospel and, and help others know about Jesus. But there is a message here that we must not miss. The main lesson for us comes with how Peter explained what happened there in verses 12 through 16, centering there on verse 15 that I just read. Since it's everyone in the temple knew this man to be the, the, the same lame man who always sat at the temple gate called Beautiful day after day. He's always there asking for charity. They knew something remarkable had just happened. Here's this man running around, leaping up in the temple who had always been sitting there at the temple gate, not able to walk. So everyone's attention was drawn to the man. People do really no, uh, take notice when lives are transformed by Jesus. They take notice when this happens. So since Peter had had their attention, he began to use this opportunity to declare to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his main point, at least initially, was that he was not responsible for the lame man's healing. It wasn't because of him. It was because of Christ. Christ Jesus was responsible for this man's healing. Peter declared he had no power in himself to help the man. He didn't even have any money to give to the man. But Jesus Christ was able to help him, and so Jesus did. Jesus healed him. Jesus restored the use of his legs, and in, 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 in so doing, restored to him his life. This man could now work for a living. This man could, could now go wherever he wanted to go on his own without having people having to carry him. He could now marry a wife and start a family and provide for his family because he had use of his legs. He was given strength to work. His whole life was restored by Jesus. And Peter declares to all who were listening to him, that Jesus is alive. Jesus was responsible for this man's healing. Jesus was alive and active in their midst. He healed this man. And of course, when we read the Gospels, well, this kind of thing was something that Matthew, Mark, and Luke told us that Jesus did quite often. 
He restored sick people to health. He restored the lame to walk again. He raised the dead back to life. And Luke is uh, the, the writer of the book of Acts. The word that Luke uses twice here to describe the lame man's restoration, again, twice there in verse 8, if you see it, it says, And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Leaping, leaping. He's leaping. Why is Luke saying he's leaping? Well, he's saying he's leaping because back in Isaiah 35, verses 3 through 6, here's what we see in uh, this messianic passage from the prophecy of Isaiah. It says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have, who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And then it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Well, we saw that happen in Jesus', Jesus ministry, didn't we? The eyes of the blind were opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. We even saw that. Jesus healed people who couldn't hear. And then it says, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Jesus is alive. Jesus is the Messiah. He was at work doing these very things that the, prophecy, that the prophets spoke of. He's at work restoring the lives of, of his people, and this miraculous work of restoration was a clear sign of that. And, and this morning, we are to know, and we are to be convinced, Jesus is still alive. He's still alive, and he has been continuing this work of restoring the lives of broken, troubled people through those who are willing to proclaim the life-saving, life-restoring message of the gospel. Now, you might, you might be thinking, but what can I do? And I definitely won't be healing anybody like the apostles did. And no one, you know, would want to listen to what I have to say anyway. How could I make a difference in anyone's life? Now, I'm not expecting any of us to be able to go out and lay our hands on someone and heal them or, or solve whatever big problem you know, they might have. It seems that the Lord was, was working through these miraculous healings through his apostles at the very beginning here as a sign to the power of the gospel. And he has not been doing much of that since. But Jesus is still alive. Jesus does still have all authority in heaven and earth. And Jesus' promise is still true that he will be with you. If you have come to faith in Jesus, then you have also been given the Holy Spirit to empower you to live for the Lord and to proclaim the message of the gospel, the same message that changed the world. So think about it this way. Trust that Jesus is alive. Trust that Jesus is really with you. And then just take that first step in whatever opportunity the Lord has laid before you. Maybe that means asking your friend or coworker you know, out to lunch and asking them questions. Ask them questions about, you know, what they believe about God, how they practice their faith. Uh, maybe that means inviting some neighbor over to your house for dinner 
in order to, to get to know that neighbor better so that they can also get to know you better and kind of observe your house and how you live and, and, and what you do. And ask them questions about, about how they were raised. Uh, share a little bit about how you, know, you were raised or your own story as well. To talk, talk about that. Or maybe the first step for you just means writing a letter or sending an email. I listened uh, the other day to a seminary professor share the story of when his son was dating a girl. His son was uh, college age and, and uh, was, was dating this, this girl, but the girl was not uh, a believer, uh, did not know Christ. And he said, you know, he, he and his wife tried to get to know her and, and, and cared about her uh, very much, but, but since she wasn't a believer and his son was, well, the relationship just, just you know, didn't, didn't work out. Uh, eventually, the relationship ended. When that happened, the seminary professor decided that he would take the opportunity just to, just to write a simple email to this girl to share about how much he and his wife had enjoyed getting, getting to know her, uh, that, that they, they, they wished her well. And then he took the opportunity just to simply explain the gospel to her in that email and encouraged her to put her trust in Jesus. Well, as you can imagine, he did not get a response. No response on email. Then a little over a year later, his son starts to date this girl again. She had become a Christian and had been going, been going to his church. And when he brought her home next, when she approached his father, she came to him in tears saying that it was his email that really led her to seek the Lord. And through a witness of a Christian friend and through the, 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 the church that she began to be a part of, she was converted and was now a growing disciple of Christ. And eventually, of course, well, she became the daughter-in-law of this father uh, who just took that first step of sending an email which the Lord Jesus uh, used to bring this young woman to saving faith. Who might the Lord be calling you to take that first step with, to, to reach out to? Well, believe that he is alive and he has empowered you to share the truth of the gospel with them. Just take that first step and see what the Lord might do. Secondly, see, we see in this, in this passage and really all that uh, Peter says about Jesus is that the gospel story is the story of the Bible. It's the story of the whole Bible. Now, let's focus on the message that Peter shares here or how he explained the gospel to the crowd that had gathered around them. Look how he begins there in verse 13. Verse 13, he begins with God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. Notice that the gospel that he is going to be uh, proclaiming here is all about Jesus, because of course it's all about you know how the God of, of of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers, relates to Jesus. He glorified his servant Jesus, whom they had delivered over um, to be crucified. But his focus here at the beginning is that the gospel begins with God the Father. 
These are the patriarchs, the fathers of the Jewish uh, nation. Peter's saying that, 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 that the God whom they were all coming to the temple to worship is the one who is behind sending Jesus, whom, of course, they had crucified. Peter's main message here is declaring to the people that, that, that the Jesus whom they had crucified was actually the promised Messiah. He was the promised Savior that, that, that God had sent to them. His message is focused on revealing to them who Jesus is. That his suffering and dying on the cross and resurrection from the dead was all in line with God's divine plan for the redemption of his people. He keeps saying that what happened to Jesus was all foretold by the mouth of the prophets. That means uh, that, 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 that they all would have heard this message of the Christ, you know, growing up, hearing the scriptures read in their homes and in the temple and in their synagogues. It was all there. The plan was all laid, laid forth there. The very things promised, like what we read from Isaiah 35, it was all there, and it all pointed to Jesus. His story was actually a story that they had grown up hearing as they heard the scriptures read. Look also down at, at verse 25 there. Verse 25 says, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He goes all the way back to the promise to Abraham and states that Christ is the fulfillment of that promise and every promise of God. And in verse 21, look back at verse 21. Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. He speaks of the time for the restoring here of all things, which is, of course, uh, is more fully revealed in the book of Revelation, which, of course, is the final book of the canon of the scriptures. So it's all about Jesus and what he did and what he will accomplish. The gospel story is the story of the Bible. Peter also points out fairly directly what the people's problem was. The people that he was speaking with there. And that's, it's, it's kind of harsh language when we, when we first hear it. He says their problem was they were the very ones who had rejected and crucified the Messiah. Those there in Jerusalem were the ones who demanded that Pilate release to them a murderer, Barabbas, and have Jesus crucified instead of him. Let's look at that strong language there, verse 14 and 15. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. This had only happened a couple of months before. You know, for us today, it would be like, you know, the crucifixion took place in early September. And now you're being told that you were, you were responsible for it. These people would have clearly remembered that they were there. They were a part of all that was going on. They were in the city. They were in the crowd. They had yelled, crucify him, when Pilate had asked them what he should do with Jesus. And Peter's just pointing out their sin and guilt. And it isn't just any old sin. It is the sin of crucifying the Son of God, the Messiah, 
whom God had sent to save them. Now, this is one of the worst sins in the history of the world. You know, second only to Judas, who betrayed Jesus into the hands of evil men. Peter had his fingers pointed at them, telling them, you are guilty. But think about this, friends. How merciful and gracious God is to have given these people this opportunity to repent and to have such dreadful guilt, such horrible sin, as it says, blotted out. How gracious Jesus is to to lead Peter to the very people who called for his crucifixion and offer them forgiveness and offer them eternal life in his name. You know, why wouldn't we tell other sinners about this gracious God? And so he calls for a response here in verse 19. Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The message of the gospel calls for a response. It calls for a response. We must respond to the message. We must respond to the Lord Jesus. Do we agree that he is the Savior that we need to save us from our sin and our guilt? Or don't we? Do we believe that, that, that he really is risen from the dead and therefore is Lord of all? Or do we think it's all a joke, it's all a fraud? If we do believe in him, then that means we must do the very thing that Peter called the people of the, at the temple to do. We must repent and turn back to God that your sins may be blotted out. In order for anyone to be saved from their sins, or for anyone to have a saving relationship with Jesus, you must repent. You must acknowledge that your way of life is wrong. That, that, that your way is leading you away from God. You must admit and confess your sinful way of life, your wrong-headed way of looking at the world, and you must submit yourself to God and to his king, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what is being called for by Peter here. To repent means to turn around, to change your mind, to turn away uh, from the way you were heading, which was away from God, and towards destruction, and then to begin to turn around and come humbly back to God. And the promise is, if you do that, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That is, like the lame man, your life will be restored. You will experience a transformation in your life. You will be given new life, eternal life, and you'll be empowered to live for Christ and for his glory. So from Peter's presentation here, there is a, there's a bare outline that we can use to help us remember these four basic elements of the gospel. We can use this when we have the opportunity to, to get into uh, gospel-focused conversations with other people. The four main headings uh, that outline the gospel are God, starts with God, Man, that is our problem, sin, Christ, and then response. God, man, Christ, response. It all begins with God. He is the creator of the world. He is the one who made man in his image to serve him and glorify him in the world that he created. 
But man rejected God by sinning against his word. You know, we wanted to be our own gods. We wanted to build our own kingdoms. And so we fell under the curse of God for our sin. Death came into the world because of our sin, and man now lives under the condemnation of God. But God so loved humanity that he sent his son Jesus to save his people. Jesus Christ lived the life we were all called to live, never sinning in any way, and perfectly fulfilled the law of God. And then shed his blood on the cross, dying in our place as our substitute for our sins. And Christ then rose from the dead so that now all who look to Christ as their Savior and follow him as their Lord can have peace with God, can have the forgiveness of sins, can have life everlasting. So what is your response to what Christ has done for you? Repent, therefore, and believe the gospel and follow the Lord Jesus with all your heart. Again, God, man, Christ, response. That's the story of the whole Bible as it's revealed here. And finally, the the tremendous privilege of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ also brings with it a serious consequence. We see this in verses 17 through 26. Hearing the gospel is a tremendous privilege. Every day you should be reminded of this reality. If you know and follow Jesus as Savior and Lord, you have been given a gift that most people in our county, most people in our state, and the vast majority of people in the world do not have. When you hear the gospel message proclaimed, it it, it warms our heart rather than makes us upset or bores us. If that's the case, then we are truly blessed. Because when you face the Lord in judgment, as everyone who has ever lived will, you will not be cast into eternal judgment in the lake of fire, and instead you'll be welcomed into eternal joy and happiness with God in the new heavens and the new earth. You are truly blessed by God's grace upon you if you know Jesus. And Peter was clear to the people who were listening to him preach the gospel in in Solomon's portico that they were listening to him preach the gospel here, that they were blessed to be able to hear this message. For if they believed and repented, then he says truly, times of refreshing would come from the Lord to them. They would experience a transformed life. They would be born again. They would be a part of the kingdom of God forever. They would have the assurance that their sins would be blotted out, never to be held against them by God. They would be justified in his sight through their faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord. They would now be under God's blessing rather than under his curse. But Peter also warned them, because they had heard the, go- the, the, the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, that they would also now be held accountable to what they did with the message. He was saying that there was now a consequence to their having heard who Jesus really is. Now God will hold them accountable to how they respond to him. That's there in verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in in ignorance, as did your 
rulers. Now, this is similar to what Jesus said on the, on the cross when Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They didn't know that Jesus truly was the Son of God. They didn't realize that they really had condemned God's promised Messiah to death. They believed that they were putting an imposter to death. They were deceived by the devil and by their own pride into believing that Jesus was just a fraud, that he was a false teacher who was leading God's people astray. They didn't know what they were really doing. They acted in ignorance, as Peter says. But now, Peter explains, they have been told who Jesus really is. They were were witnesses to his saving power by seeing the crippled man who had the strength in his legs restored to him by the risen Christ. Now they were no longer ignorant. And that's his point there in verses 22 and 23. So look down there at at, uh, those verses now. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So the question before them is this. Will they listen to Jesus? Will they listen to the one whom God promised would come, who would be a greater prophet than Moses, who would be the Savior, the forever King? Would they listen to him through his spokesman, the apostles? If not, as verse 23 says, they will be held accountable. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. That's from Deuteronomy chapter 18. So we have, so we, we have had the privilege this morning of hearing the saving gospel message about Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. But now we all also will be held accountable to how we respond to this message. Will we believe and obey him? Will we repent and begin to live a life of faith in his name? Or will we just ignore it again and continue to go on living however we we want to live without caring much at all about what Jesus says in his word? So friends, now is the time to come and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. For the next time that God will send Jesus to the earth, it will not be as it it will it will be as the divine judge and the conqueror. So now is the day of salvation. Now is the opportunity for the word of grace to be proclaimed and to be received. Don't neglect such a salvation. Make sure you know him as Savior, so that when you do meet him face to face, it'll be a time of joy and relief and not a time of terror and wrath. Friends, Jesus is alive. And as he promised, he will be with you as you seek to speak the good news of the gospel to others. Now, I know what I'm, what I'm talking about here, what I'm saying to do, it can be scary. I know you will feel inadequate. You know, as, as the Apostle Paul said, who is sufficient for these things? Not me, right? I'm not sufficient to do this. But just like how I felt as a a young kid helping my dad on the farm, the Lord Jesus, the one who could calm the storm and the raging sea with just a word, the one who could restore strength to a man who who had never been able to walk before, 
The same one has promised that he will be with us. If you are a believer, then you have been given the Holy Spirit, not just so you can have a relationship with Jesus, but so that you will be empowered to do his will, to do the very thing he called us to do. So the question for us then is, do we believe this? Do we believe the message? Do we trust that Jesus is really with us?